Well, good morning, everyone. We'll go ahead and get started as everybody's finding their final places. Let me open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll start talking about the next phase of what we're studying. So, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege we have of being called your children. Lord, we, we know in our hearts what a mess we have been from the earliest memories we have, Lord constantly looking away from you before you saved us, enjoying our sin, but after our salvation, even struggling to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that as we are here today at Lakeside, both in the main service and in Sunday school, that you'll help us be equipped to do that. Lord, I pray for our brother Willie, who's still recovering from having both of his feet amputated. Lord, I, I can't imagine what he faces, but I know your grace is sufficient, and I pray that you'll sustain him and his wife Patricia and his children, his mom and his siblings. Lord, help the Masonette family get through this. And Lord, I pray for our time together as we talk about life and Christian living. I pray that the things that we discuss will be practical and useful to help us, Lord, as we continue on. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody, again. Glad to see you here. This is week two, and next week will be week three of me coming to church in casual clothes. I feel very awkward leaving the house, not in a coat and tie, but since I'm just in the gym the entire time, I'm figuring, okay, I'll, I'll do it. But the community fellowship class has been teaching a series, and as I mentioned last week, I agreed to teach and then found out that I was assigned three weeks. And so what I'm doing is I'm taking those topics that I'm teaching, and I'm teaching them in both places just from a practical standpoint. I hope the teaching is helpful, but also because it's very challenging to prepare one teaching a week the way I teach, and much less prepare multiple with everything else that goes on with what I do. So this morning, the topic that was originally presented as part of this flowing thought had to do, again, with cultural pressures. And the cultural pressures this time have to do with how we make the decisions of life. Last week, I was teaching on fear. That was the goal, because our society cultivates fear. In fact, if you start looking at it from that perspective, a great deal of political advertising is just to make you be scared of the other side. And a great deal of the news is about scary things, like what's going on in Israel and the crazed mass murderer that was loose for days until they found him dead in Maine. And, and so everything is continually stirring up fear in us. And so last week was dealing with how do we set those aside and we walk in obedience to the Lord and we don't get overcome by fear. Well, today is actually dealing with fear again, but it's fear in a different form. Today, the issue is the fact that for many people, the more information that is coming at us and the more we know, it's making it harder and harder for some people to make decisions in life. The, the, the bombardment of information is such that some are finding it difficult to make wise decisions because there's so much information and, and there's so much out there and you hear so much about what the consequences of making a mistake are that it really rattles people. Just in a few areas... For our general age group, not being, for most of us, 20 years old, that's a different set of problems. But for many of us, the issues are all economic. Is our planning enough? 
Is our economic planning right? Did, did we have everything squared away so that we're secure financially? But it goes beyond that. We have decisions that we make every single day. And on the one hand, because of the internet, we have access to more information than ever. And yet, on the other hand, there's also more competing things that can cause us to have trouble. So, last week, as I was mentioning the old issue of fear, everything about the Christian life comes back to how we think. Colossians 3, 1-3, but particularly verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. And as we make decisions in life, regardless of where we are in life, that has to be our priority. We can't make decisions like the rest of the world. We have to make decisions based on what does God want us to do. And again, because we are easily influenced and because there are so many things bombarding us, we have to remember the scriptural admonitions always because it's a daily struggle to think God's thoughts. Romans 12.2 And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's interesting because none of these things change because we're getting to the end of life. They just keep going. I don't know the ages of everyone in here, but think about this. If someone in this room is 80, if you live to 100, you've got another 20 years of making decisions. It's hard for me to fathom living that long, and yet I hear it all the time. People that are in their 90s going strong, people that hit 100. That could be us. We can't all assume we're going to die young. The reality is we have decisions to make and the fact that we're on a different part of life doesn't take away the urgency to keep transforming our mind, to keep renewing our mind, to keep thinking biblical thoughts. We have all we need to do this. We have salvation in Jesus Christ. We have His Holy Spirit living in us. We have His Word, which is the lamp unto our feet to guide us, to show us how to navigate this world. But the reality is... Every day, there's a battle for what you're thinking. Every time you turn on the news, it's a battle for your mind to think about what you're hearing biblically. And I can't stand the fact that next year's a presidential race. Ah, I'm already dreading the advertisements. I saw one yesterday, and that makes me want to scream. And it's going to be on and on. So we have to battle this thinking process, and we need to make sure that when it comes to making decisions, we don't wind up being in a situation where we can't move forward. Because the reality is there's lots of options in front of us, there's lots of choices. And so as I was thinking through what to present, I I basically prepared a message on godly decision making. So let me ask you this question. If you've made Bad decisions in your life, raise your hand. Okay? Got it. Okay? Now, if you didn't raise your hand, I want to talk to you about your dishonesty and lying lips being an abomination of the Lord. No, we get it. We've all made bad decisions. Some of them are consequential. Some of them are trivial. I shouldn't have eaten that. (laughs) That didn't feel good. But some of them are more significant. But the reality is we need to always approach every decision with a biblical mindset. And so I'm just going to walk through some principles for making godly choices. And if you already make godly choices all the time, praise the Lord for that. I would just do what Peter said, and I'll just be happy to remind you of these things. 
But these are biblical principles that we can apply and that we can teach others to make sure that we're making choices as followers of Christ, not just as citizens of the United States of America. And there's a difference. So principles for making godly choices. The first principle is this. We need to embrace walking by faith. Embrace walking by faith. Now, this might not jump out and you might say, what is he talking about? It really comes down to the fact that there is no way on this earth to know everything. We have to trust God even when we don't know the outcome and even when there's no way for us to know the outcome. There's a scripture that we're all familiar with. The Apostle Paul was talking about what it is to be in this world. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. That's us now. We're home in the body. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And those are familiar words, but we need to realize that that is every day of our life. And faith is defined for us in Scripture. We don't have to fumble around. Hebrews 11.1, 1, I heard somebody teach on Hebrews once. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith isn't what we can touch and see and hear and taste. It's not about the physical world. It's about believing God and His Word and His promises regardless of what necessarily we can actually know and see. We don't prove God in a science lab. And it's critical, we walk by faith, not by sight, that if we want to please God, and I trust that we do, if we're children of God, we can't do it without faith. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. We have to believe that God is the Redeemer, the Savior, everything that He says He is, and we have to believe that He really does have our best interest at heart. So bringing this back into our world, most of us want to know what's going to happen. If tomorrow, and I'm asking the question for feedback, if tomorrow you were going to go to the state of Washington, I told you, you've got to get to Washington tomorrow, Seattle. What would go into that process? What would you do? What? Okay, there's a... How much is it going to cost? She's saying a ticket? A plane ticket? I'll take away the timetable. You've just got to get to Seattle sometime before Christmas. What does that do? More options. Train? Okay. Somebody going to drive. If you're going to drive, what are you going to do? Hotel room, certainly. Um... You got to make sure you got gas and food, but also place to stay. You got to have a map. <laughs> How are you going to get there? You know, what road are you going to take? Uh, I can get out of here, but then where? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it. All of those things to us are knowable because I can use, look on the internet and I can find out every gas station between here and Seattle. I can find every hotel room. I can find every airline that's flying there tomorrow. I can find the prices. The point is, there are many choices that we have to make, and sometimes all the information is easily available. That's not walking by faith. 
certainly we, and I'll talk in just a moment, planning is an appropriate thing to do, but a lot of choices that we come to don't have those kind of answers. If I ask you, um, what's going to be the value of the stock market in two years? If you can tell me, I want to have a private conversation with you later. <laughs> no, we don't know. If I ask you, how long is Israel going to be fighting Hamas? We don't know. And there's a trip for Lakeside Plan to Israel. There are things that we don't know. There are things that we can't know, and yet we still have to move forward. Hebrews chapter 11 has many examples of faith, but one of the ones that jumps out at me for purposes of what I'm talking about is Abraham. Abraham, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says this, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. That part, okay. I got an inheritance for you, Abraham. You're going to go. And then it says this, And he went out not knowing where he was going. God didn't tell him. We know from elsewhere in the scriptures that Abraham, he was already older, and he had moved to a place called Harem with his dad, Terah. And then his dad died at 205, so if you're 80, you might have a really long life. But at 205, he died, and then, according to Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a place, and you're going to go. I'm going to make you a great nation. Hebrews 12 verse 3 has implications for what's going on even now in the Middle East. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And the promise of the gospel, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, meaning through Jesus Christ. But imagine that God told you to go, and you said, okay, where? And God said, just go. Well, then that gets a little unnerving. Well, I don't know if there's gas stations there. I don't know if they have hotels. Okay, I'm going to live there. Do I have a job? Well, well wait a minute. What about the safety? We know the Middle East is pretty bad. If it's anywhere over there, God, where are you moving me? The point is, sometimes in life we have to make decisions. And it's impossible for us to know everything. And in those moments, we need to be like Abraham and just trust God to help us. Now, why do I say that? Not because I think God's going to tell any of us to go somewhere and not tell us where. I believe those were unique occurrences in history. I don't believe it's going to happen to us. But I say that because right now, God has already told you a lot of things you must do. He's already said go to you in a lot of areas. In fact, I think God has said go in so many areas that there aren't as many decisions as we think there are in life. In fact, a lot of decisions will take care of themselves. What am I even talking about? God says, in a sense, go and be holy, as I'm holy. God says, go and don't sin. God says to those of a right age, go and do your labor and provide for your family. When we were younger, God said, go and obey your parents. To us now, God says, go and obey the civil authorities if they don't contradict God. 
God said to us that are married, go and love your wife as Christ loved the church. Or to a wife, go and submit to your husband as unto the Lord. God says, go to church. God says, be a part of the fellowship of believers. In other words, God has told us the parameters of what a godly life looks like. He's already said go to us, but He doesn't tell us what's the outcome in each one of those areas. What's it going to cost me to be holy as God is holy when the rest of the culture is saying, come join me in sin? God doesn't always tell us the details, but you know the choice to make still. Be holy. I think God calls us to exercise faith ever much as He calls Abraham to because we are supposed to live without knowing the final outcome on this earth. We know the final outcome in heaven, but on this earth, we're going to have troubles. We're going to have trials. I won't read it for time's sake, but there's a lengthy account in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus is telling His disciples, don't worry. Don't worry about the details of life. What you'll wear, what you'll eat. And he points to the ravens and says, look, God takes care of them. Aren't you more valuable? Which of you by worrying can add a single hour? Can't. His promise is this, do not be afraid. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. In other words, we have to be content to trust that God is working for our good and make decisions accordingly. We have a great freedom knowing we are in the hands of a loving God, but with that freedom comes responsibility to walk by faith, not by sight. I think every one of us could look at points in our life and thought I would have never been there. That wasn't what I was trying to do. But God, who directs our path, has other things for us. But no matter what, we have to embrace walking by faith. The second point is this. Because it can be misunderstood. Walking by faith and trusting God can sound like, well, just wing it and see what happens. But that's not the point. Second point is this. Planning ahead can be wise and beneficial. Planning ahead can be wise and beneficial. And this is always the balance we walk by faith, we trust God in the things we can't see, but there's a place for prudent planning for our trip to Seattle. Yes, we should look at the gas stations and the travel arrangements and how we're going to get there. Planning ahead can be wise and beneficial. Jesus made this very clear. In fact, he used planning as something that's just an understood part of life. I'm going to read an account in Luke chapter 14, verses 27 to 32. It's familiar to us if we've gone through these things. Luke chapter 14, verses 27 to 32. But Jesus is making a point with the assumption that of course we plan. Verse 27, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So that's the context. He's talking about us counting the cost. Thinking carefully, this is what it's going to cost you to follow Jesus. And he says, verse 28, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In other words, Jesus is just using as a common illustration the reality that of course we have to plan. In fact, if you don't plan at all, you'll be ridiculed. It would be foolish. So, of course, there's a place at times to plan out financial details. Of course, there's a place to analyze the strengths and weaknesses of a particular course of action. And that's why the Proverbs, not exclusively there, but in many places, commend prudence and planning. Proverbs 20.18, prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. In other words, you're thinking ahead. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. In other words, planning ahead is wise and smart, but if you just wing it, sometimes that's going to result in disaster. So even as I stress that we walk by faith, not by sight, that doesn't mean there's not a place for using the God-given brains that we have in planning. But what we have to realize, and this is very important, is planning is just something we do, always subject to being overruled by God who has other plans. Proverbs 16.9, familiar verse, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And it's clear from Scripture, sometimes we can get so caught up in our planning and this is what I have planned, that according to the Bible, the planning itself can become arrogant because we don't realize our plans don't dictate what goes on in the world. It's God. So, for example, in James four thirteen to 16, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So that sounds like prudent planning. You've got a plan, I'm going to go there, I've got the business, I'm going to do this, 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 this. Verse 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So we walk by faith. Planning can be a part of walking by faith, but we have to realize our planning is just that. God can always intercede. In fact, even with our plans, we're saying, Lord, this is my best judgment, but I, I trust you. If you have other plans, that's okay. And we can trust God because God's heart is for our good. Jeremiah 29, 11 expresses the heart of God. It was written in a different context to Israel, but I believe it still expresses God's attitude towards his children. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So as we see and we think about these things, yes, we walk by faith, not by sight, but there's a sense in which living in this fallen world, we have to do our best to make plans. And we can make plans knowing that they're subject to being overruled by God and knowing that no matter what occurs, God's working for our good. Romans 8.28 and he's not trying to hurt us. He wants our good. So the first principle is embrace walking by faith. The second is planning ahead can be wise and beneficial. The third principle for making godly choices is this. Seek godly counsel before you act. Seek godly counsel before you act. And, and this may seem obvious, but I really want to emphasize it because I know in my own heart, the longer I live, 
the more I believe I have certain areas of life figured out. Things that might have confused me when I was 22, 23, don't confuse me now. I understand some things better. But we can't ever get to the point where we think we know enough to just live life on our own. Getting a counsel is wise, but it's got to be the right type of counsel. We need to seek godly counsel. Familiar psalm begins this way. In fact, it's the first psalm. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. And I think it's important, and I, I think about it in the context of what information we're exposed to now when we think about making a decision. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. When you look at the world around us right now, it's filled with the wicked and sinners and scoffers. And sadly, a lot of the information we get comes from those sources, such that if we're not careful when we're trying to solve a problem, we may forget to seek godly counsel for how to do it. Nowadays, if you don't know something, what do you do? You want to find out something that you don't know. What do you do? Look it up. Look it up on the internet. And where do you go to look it up? Google. Okay. Now, what do you think are the odds that the founders of Google are conservative evangelical Christians who are seeking to serve the Lord? And I'll sell you some Swampland when we're done. No. Some believers. Now, is it useful? Yeah, it is useful. I look up a lot of good things on that. But we've got to be careful. If we think we can find every answer on the Internet, there's a lot of hooks out there. And a lot of the information is not coming from any type of godly source. And it permeates every aspect of life. Unbelievers shouldn't be the first people we turn to when we have momentous decisions. And the reason's obvious. Because we're not supposed to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Their delight's not in the law of the Lord. They're not meditating on God's law day and night. They're not going to tell you what you need to know to please the Lord, which is how to walk by faith. So yes, we need to seek the counsel of others when we make decisions. Proverbs 15.22, for example. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. There's a place in life for us to go and get help, to ask other people, but we need to ask the right kind of people, particularly with big decisions. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And it corrupts good decision making. We have to be even careful with which family members we talk to because are they really serving the Lord? We even have to be careful which Christians we talk to because there are Christians that don't give godly advice. Proverbs 15.7 says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the heart of fools are not so. We need to be very careful who we consult. So think about it. When you have hard decisions to make, who do you talk to? Do you seek out the wisdom of godly men and women at Lakeside? Do you seek out the wisdom of the elders? Do you seek out the wisdom of other believers who have walked with the Lord a long time? 
there are countless biblical examples of people making wise choices and foolish choices, but one that just jumps out in terms of what I'm talking about on this point is the son of Solomon named Rehoboam. If you recall, Solomon had a united kingdom. Sadly, in the end of his life, he was turned away from the Lord by foreign women, but the kingdom was united. It was powerful. And then he died. Rehoboam was the heir apparent, the new king. And the people came to him and said, Can you lighten the load a little bit? Life is hard. Can you help us? And according to 1 Kings chapter 12 deals with parts of it, but in that area of the Bible, Rehoboam first sought counsel from the people that counseled his father. The elders who had served with Solomon for all his foolish sin was the wisest man that lived because God gave him supernatural wisdom. So these wise elders gave Rehoboam one bit of advice. But then it said he consulted with the young men that grew up with him. And you can imagine all the arrogance and the, hey, we're in power now. And it says he followed their advice and it was a catastrophe. The kingdom split. Ten tribes broke off. And it set in play a period of disaster for the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. Because he listened to the advice of the wrong people. I can tell you that today, this is harder than ever. I don't know all of the nuances of the internet. I read a lot of news, though. And I read news primarily from the internet. And, and there seems to always be an article somewhere where somebody has posted somewhere and they ask a question and they wanted everybody to speak. Did I do the right thing? I thought, that's the dumbest thing that I've ever heard in my life. These are random strangers on the internet. Are, are you going to believe that, yes, that's it? But people are asking, like, well, should I do this or should I do this? And I read the advice columns in some big papers, like the Washington Post and stuff, and I'm thinking, did somebody really ask this question? Are, are they really that clueless? But the point is, people are paralyzed. They think they're going to make the wrong decision. They don't even trust themselves, but they're not going to any reliable source. As believers, we can't do that. We always have to make sure that the people that we seek counsel from are believers, and we have to make sure that we don't just wing it and go it alone. As I said before, I know a lot more than I used to know. I also know what I don't know more than I used to. But the reality is I come to a lot of crossroads and I just plow ahead and I don't stop and ask people's opinion. Why? Because I've been here before. I think I know the way. I need to seek counsel. We all need to seek counsel, but it needs to be godly counsel. That brings me to the last principle. And the last principle, none of these are in order of priority. Because they all go together and they all fit together. And what I'm saying last, I could have said first, and it should be at the beginning. The fourth principle for making godly choices is this. Pray before you decide. Pray before you decide. And I think in many respects, this can be the most overlooked necessity. Because we think we already know it. Far too often we live our lives and we make decisions without ever thinking, what does God want me to do? We just plow ahead because we're on autopilot. We've been going so long, now I'm just going and going and going. And that's not good. Prayer should always be a priority and prayer always needs to precede every decision we make. 
Jesus lived a life of prayer. He prayed. He went away by himself to pray. Even up to the night before his death, he was pleading with the Lord in the garden. In fact, he tells us in Luke 11, 9 and 10, he tells us to pray. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Luke 11, 9 and 10. He, he's telling us we've got to come to our Heavenly Father. We've got to ask. And over and over we see that throughout the Scripture. He taught his disciples how to pray. And even in Matthew 6, when he's teaching them what we call the Lord's Prayer, but he's teaching them how to pray, he says, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. But he still tells us to ask. I don't have it in my notes, but that's why we're told to come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. It's interesting because quite often we have challenging things in life and Google doesn't give us the answer. And we look, but it wasn't there. Or there were 3,000 answers on Google. And sometimes life is very difficult. In fact, when things are difficult, I think decisions can be more consequential and more challenging for us because we're under stress and there's pressure and we're desperate. And the Bible tells us exactly what to do in those circumstances if we only listen to it. James 1.5, very familiar verse, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And wisdom in that context just means if you don't know what to do. You're supposed to be godly. If you don't know how to be godly, ask of God. And it warns later verses, ask in faith. This isn't a game, it's not a mantra. It means genuinely ask God, God, help me. I had a situation, and I just used myself as a bad example when I was younger. But it's the illustration of the part how we can make consequential decisions and not even think about praying about it because we already know the answer to the question. When I was a lawyer, when Debbie and I got married, well, I was finishing law school when we got married, but I became a lawyer in 1992. We lived in San Diego, and I worked in a small law firm but one day I was going to own the law firm. The owner was uh, someone who was formerly a brother-in-law. And it was very profitable and I was going to be very wealthy. Had a beautiful office on the 14th floor of a building, looked out over the Pacific, it was beautiful. My life was set. I had become a believer in 1993, so now we're in 1995. But I had become a believer, but I still knew what my life was. I was going to be a lawyer and make a lot of money. And then I thought I'd give the money to the Lord's work. Somebody's got to finance all these things. Maybe it'll be us. So that's what it's going to be. I knew what my life was. I was going to be a lawyer that made a lot of money. Now, I had some thoughts in the back of my mind, but they hadn't crystallized yet. Debbie already was thinking I was being called to ministry, but I wasn't. I was just making money. And we had a big client up in Fresno. That's where our biggest client was. And it was a, a large community college district in Florida. You don't really have community colleges anymore. It would be equivalent of St. Pete College, a big entity like that. Because we had two campuses plus some off-site centers, probably there were 
40,000 students, maybe only 38, 37,000, thousands of employees, and it was our biggest client. So I would go up to Fresno and do work on site sometimes. And one day, the big boss, the chancellor, the guy who ran the entire thing, there was a board that he was accountable to, but the guy that was clearly, he was the boss. He called me in his office when I was just up there doing work, and he said, we're going to hire an attorney. We're thinking about hiring an in-house attorney, and I'd like you to apply. And I was like, no, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, I'm, I'm good. I uh, enjoy where I am, so that's not something I'm interested in. And he was like, oh, you, you like working for, I'll work for another guy named Joe. They like working for Joe? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. No big deal. I left his office, didn't think much about it. I don't remember as much the conversation that I had with Debbie about it as I remember a conversation with my unbelieving Jewish friend, Dave, who's still one of my best friends after 30 years. He still hasn't listened to the gospel, but, um, but he and I went to law school together. We worked together. We're good friends. I talk to him most every day of the week still. So anyway, I'm back in a hotel room, and I was just relaying to him what happened and that Bill Stewart had called me in and said all those things. And he said, well, now, let me ask you a question. I'm like, okay. He said, you're always telling me about God and that you trust God. Right. And you always telling me that God controls everything and God's in charge. Right. And he said, how do you know that wasn't God giving you that opportunity? I was sitting in a hotel room by myself and it felt like I got hit across the head by the Lord. It never occurred to me to pray about it. it never occurred to me to stop and say, oh, Lord, is this an opportunity from you? No, I had just said, nope, I'm done. But after that, the Lord got my attention. And at one point, after a variety of things, I went back and I told him, well, maybe I should listen. And I wound up working there for five years. Our two oldest daughters were born in Fresno. I met the man in Fresno that directed me to the Master Seminary where I studied. But I dismissed it all without even thinking about praying. And I'm probably not the only one that's done that with some choices. So my reminder to us all, we can't be that way. Even if we think we know everything, we don't know everything. So that would be the final part of godly decision making. Pray before you decide, no matter what the decision is. So again, I know we are people who have lived life. Some decisions we don't have to do over again. But our lives aren't done. As long as we're breathing, God's going to give us opportunities to choose. And we need to choose wisely. And we need to choose in a biblical manner. So let me close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercy. Lord, you're so gracious to us. So many times we make decisions. Even now, even with everything I'm saying, Lord, I know probably in the last week, Countless times I haven't done what I'm saying we should do. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness, that you're gracious to us, and that you're kind and patient with us when we are thick-headed and we just don't get it. Lord, we want to make godly decisions. We want to live a life pleasing to you in every way. We want to accomplish your will. We want to be pleasing to you. And we know that's impossible without faith. So I pray, Lord, that you'll help us walk by faith, not just by sight. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to go to you first in prayer. 
Help us to surround ourselves with godly people who can give us godly counsel when we need it. Lord, we love you. We want to do better. And so I pray that by your spirit, you'll help us apply these truths to our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.